1995, Jeff Tweedy, the frontman and songwriter for one of my all-time favorite bands, Wilco, displayed the furtive moral and ethical principles that would define him by not only beginning to write torch love songs not about love, but about fans' relationships to musicians, but by demanding that the young band's second studio effort be split into a double album, despite it being plenty short enough in the CD era to fit on just one. The sticker price for a double album at the time was $30, so he also demanded that Reprise Records sell it for the single album price of $17.98 to appease all those fans that they didn't really have yet after a disappointing first album. Reprise didn't want to, so Tweedy, who was the only name registered at the time on the contract, traded the bands, i.e. his, royalties from the entire record for the right to release a double album at the single album price. It is estimated that the band gave away how much cash for the right to pull this nerdy, nerdy rock and roll move that only Tweedy himself cared about at the time, Chaz. This is a multiple choice question for you. Was it, it, was it A, six bucks? Was it B, six thousand? C, sixty thousand dollars? D, six hundred thousand dollars? Or E, six million dollars? I'm going to go with 60000 Ooh, you are wrong. It is estimated they lost $600,000 wow. on this one decision. But I say we're all the richer for it, Chaz. On this edition of Louder Than Sound, we're looking at albums that we didn't like at first but ended up loving by starting with Wilco's 1995 double album, Being There. Welcome to everyone's favorite show, Louder Than Sound. Our first and only question for the contestants is... What's louder than sound? Theoretical noise particulates from the 15th dimension? What's louder than sound? Uh, nothing, Alex, because of course this is a theoretical question. What's louder than sound? What is two brothers, who are mostly similar, but sometimes dissimilar taste in music, asking each other to listen to and absorb some of their favorite music albums based on idiosyncratic themes that they likewise force each other to consider? That's louder than sound. Welcome once again to Louder Than Sound. I'm Charlie here with my brother Jake. Hello. Talking again about some albums from the past. Uh, back from a, a, a fresh vacay here, Jake. You know, month oh off, yeah, sweet man. Feeling feeling breezy and, uh, and rested. <laughs> Yeah, and ready, ready to talk about these albums. So our theme is starting up a new theme again. Our theme is uh, I call it late bloomers, albums that you didn't love right away, and so maybe you full blown hated them right away, or Could maybe have. you just kind of like went, it's all right. But then later on, for some unknown reason, or maybe known reason, hard to say, uh, it suddenly came back to it and went, whoa, this is amazing. This what was is I all that time. I don't know. Um, so I'll be I'll be sharing mine next time, which we'll announce that at the very end of the show. But I wanted to share just a couple. I, I didn't have a lot of these that I came up immediately. There's some of them that were more slower growers, but I was trying to think of ones I really like didn't care for. I just were kind of like mm-hmm. blah. Mm-hmm. The two that popped in my brain immediately were ironically a different Wilco album, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, <laughs> right? And uh, and Radiohead's Kid A, which are both like gigantic albums of you know they both 2001 or is I think we I think Yankee Hotel Foxtrot's 2001. They're both right right in that time period, though. 
And I remember, Akita in particular, I remember just hating that element first. Mm-hmm. And I think it was right where I was at because I'd, like, I'd only discovered OK Computer because of all the press they were getting for Kid A coming out soon. Because I was in high school, like, you know, it was OK. What did you okay know? know? Nothing. Computer. You didn't know. And then I was totally in love with OK Computer. And I hadn't, you know, written that whole thing out before I got Kid A and then went, what is this noise? Uh, but then I came back to it later and absolutely love it. Yeah. I don't know what I didn't like about it. It was hard to say, but then at some point it just, you know. Well, in that case, I, I didn't, and I was a huge Wilco fan, as we'll get into by the time that came out. Um, but I didn't like it as much as I would end up liking it. I, I definitely okay. liked it at first, but I got like, you know, I got way into it uh, uh-huh. in a way that I didn't write at first. Kid A, I loved right away for, for whatever okay. reason. And Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, I, I already had a Wilco album. I already had Bean there, actually, which we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, we might. We might, I guess. <laughs> but something about it just didn't, it bothered me, but I, I gave it another listen, and then at some point it became like an earworm, like annoyingly an earworm, like different parts of it. And then at some uh, point it blasted open into this amazing album that I completely love to this day. So Okay. There's just two, two examples right there. But Jake, let's talk about... Uh, an album we already talked about. Wilco's being there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so this is like, so besides, this is kind of a double theme for me because besides being um, an album that I didn't care for at first and I gave multiple tries, um, I didn't, I didn't like it. It just did not catch with me. And then, but then I became obsessed with it. I became like one of those albums. We'll talk about it a little bit, a little bit later. I I was just I could not stop listening to it. I listened mm-hmm. to it end on end. I knew which songs to you know skip based on the on the track order, all that stuff. So I don't really know how to explain my love of this album succinctly. So I thought that you and I would explain because this is a story that involves both of us. It does. I get it in here. What? So I I'm interested to hear you know like what you remember about the about the genesis of this. Uh, I, do, I, have a, I have notes about it later, but I will you, share it now. <laughs> why don't you share it now? That's what we're doing. I will. All right. This is so my this because, is our personal journey with this album. Right. Because Wilco, you know, was your like number one band. And uh and I got to them first. And the irony of this was that at the same time period that Wilco was your favorite, Flaming Lips were my favorite, That's which right. I got from you. So That's we got right. them from each other. That's right. Um and this, the Flaming Lips is a good story at some point too, but we'll save that for another time. Sure. So I think I first learned about Wilco after the release of Summer Teeth. Mm-hmm. Their follow-up to this, which is 19, it came out in 1999. Yeah. And probably, it was probably somewhere in that press summer. Because I was definitely in high school, and you were definitely in college. Like, we weren't For sure. So, you know, 99, 2000 would be about that that zone where you were in college and I was still in high school. And um, and so I downloaded a couple tracks off of Napster after reading about them, probably in, like, Spin Magazine <laughs> Oh, or man, I'm turning you in, bro. Super right turning now. you Spin in. Magazine and Napster, right there. Original <laughs> Napster. And I liked the songs. I thought, hey, I'm going to go buy it. And so I went out to, I don't know, we didn't have good places to buy music. I bought, no. most, of my, I bought most of my music at the time at Best Buy. So there, Correct. there you but, go, right there. But that wasn't as bad as you think it was. <laughs> oh, no, it wasn't at the time. <laughs> it had stuff. And so I was looking around, and I wanted to buy this Wilco album, and they didn't have Summer Teeth. Boom. So I'm like, oh, nuts. Well, they have this other one by them called Being There, and it's a double album, and it's the price of a single album. <laughs> I wonder how I that happened. I remember thinking, like, how cheap it was. It was a devil of it. Was, it was, you know, this is the time before you would get every single song anyone had ever heard of online for free. That is hilarious. And so, like, getting, you know, and I was, I was still, like, building a collection. So when you could get a double album, like, that was a lot of songs to just get. You, you can't, have more you can't, you can't afford not to have it. You have exactly. to have it. Exactly. <laughs> so I bought that one instead. 
And then I wasn't wild about it. Yeah, well. I actually remember, I remember the very first time I listened to it. For some reason, I like set myself up for a headphone listen, which I don't, I know it doesn't happen that often, but you know, where you can, where you can pull that kind of thing off. But I did. I loved the first song and then hated the second song because mm-hmm. the first song is not country and the second song is country. Kind so it's not yeah. surprising. I see what you're saying though. Yes. And so at the, especially at the time, like slide guitars were poison to me. I couldn't handle them. Mm-hmm. Like I've gotten past that, but we've talked to the show also. <laughs> still, I'm, not, I'm still not a big fan of country. No. Um, we'll get more of that later on. And yeah. so that like, it never grew on me enormously. Like it sat in my collection. I never got rid of it. So it must've, there must've been enough in it that I liked. Okay. Cause there's some songs I really like at it. Sure. Um, and so that's what I remember at Wilco. And I don't know how I got it back to you, but somehow I shared it with you. I don't, I don't remember. Okay. All so, all so what I remember is that you, you know, back in the day we used to, um, the way that we shared music with each other was we would buy a CD and then, uh, and then we would listen to it and then we would burn it onto a CDR, a blank CDR. Mm-hmm. And that's how you were like, Hey buddy, let me show you this. <laughs> let me show you this music, you know, and you'd give, and you'd give this C- and, and so you and I would give each other, especially back then we'd give each other quite a bit of music, um, um, to listen to. And so you gave me this and I can picture the CDR and your writing on it. Wilco being there. It's a double album, obviously. We've gone over that many times now. It would have fit on a single album, which is hilarious. Um, So you gave it to me, and I, and you're right, I'm sure it was, this had to have been freshman year of college, my freshman year of college, like 99, 2000, you know, somewhere around there. And I, you know, I had heard of Wilco. I liked Summer Teeth quite a bit, but Summer Teeth is a huge departure from being there. And so... For yeah. whatever reason, when I put being there on, it didn't. It just did not click with me, and I kept putting on the first disc because I thought, I'm gonna, you know, if I'm gonna like this, I I, I gotta like it like it right from the start. And for whatever reason, the first, you know, the first track is misunderstood, which is an awesome mm-hmm. song. It didn't. It didn't click with me. I don't. I don't. Oh, I don't know why. I don't know why. Because it had all the stuff I was looking for. You know, it was like kind of atonal and, you know, kind of this junk rock song. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, really emotional and like late night and sad bastard stuff, which I was, you know, very much into at the time. And then for some reason, I I remember I was driving on like highway 10 through Wisconsin. I think I was going to visit my buddy Colin in Appleton, maybe to pick him up for school or something that year, sophomore year, maybe I was like, you know what? I'm trying this one more time, but I'm putting in the second album first. Oh man! And what I discovered things up. was that "Sunken Treasure" is the greatest song ever written, which is the one. first song on the second disc. And I was literally from that moment, I was off. I became absolutely obsessed with the album. Um, I think it holds the record for the most copies of any single album that I own because <laughs> I. So I had your CDR version, which I actually listened to for a long time before I bought the album okay. version. Because, again, not made of money. You know, even 15 bucks back then, 16 bucks, whatever you paid for. Even for a double album. Even for a double album, you know. You got to watch out for that. Um, and then I, I got the album proper, you know. And then, for some reason, I bought a vinyl version, a double <laughs> vinyl version, when I didn't have a record player. And I was working on the I was working on the farm in, like, 2003. So you had no yeah, I went to a record store, and instead of getting something that I didn't have, I was like... I and became, that you could listen to? Yeah. Exactly. You something you did have and you can't listen to. Correct. So that was, okay. I don't know what I was thinking, cool, but cool. I got i got the vinyl <laughs> version of being there because I loved it so much. And then I ended up getting the uh, the deluxe version that came out just a couple of years ago. 
oh, yeah. years ago, which is awesome. It's got all the songs that aren't on it. So, uh, yeah, I have like four or five copies of it just hanging around here. I can't, <laughs> you know, I can't afford to get rid of any of them, of course. You should get some more. I love them all. I love them all so much. You I tried to the get one of them to my daughter. And vinyl. Do you have the deluxe version on both CD and vinyl? No, 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 no. Now you're now track. you're talking. Now you're talking crazy talk. And I'll just say that uh, Wilco has, uh, as a band, has endured for me. Um, you know, not I don't have like white hot love for their for their new albums anymore. But I used to get them on the day they came out, mm-hmm. um, especially especially the the ones following uh, following my obsession with being there. So Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, A Ghost Is Born. I even got Sky Blue Sky. I think. The day it came out, even though you know, I think I did too. And then that, that was a uh, that was a tough we'll that was a tough hang a at the time for uh, for our series on uh, on bands that we don't like anymore. We still yeah, like, but only like, but only for you. Was one of those those red hot like holy crap, I'm done. That's it. I'm out. Wilco, sorry, I love you, and now we don't anymore. Yeah, well, their self titled one, their next one was a self titled one, and that one was even worse. That was horrible. I didn't. Yeah, but then they I came back for me. Following to that. They came back for me. Now I've I've had like six of their albums since then, and I and I enjoy them oh, okay. all, except uh, okay. coincidentally for their last one wasn't very good. Anyway, or wasn't very uh, engaging. Uh, you know, just a roller coaster of emotion. You know, Sky Blue Sky was like it sounds funny now, uh, but that was like a deal breaker for Wilco fans. Mm-hmm. People were like, oh, yeah. no. We were After totally all the out. Weirdness of the last two. Yeah. To come on with this like just bland dad rock. Yeah. Yeah, talking about doing your laundry, you know, that kind of stuff. But the 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 sort of problematic issue with that was that he was when he was making these naughty, you know, masterpieces, especially a ghost is born, he thought he was gonna die from a painkiller addiction. He was Jeff He was miserable, I know. He was so then he in, gets happy and makes, and makes bland, awful music. Yeah. But not I mean, I'd rather he was happy, I guess, but you know, I just don't want to listen to him being happy. That's fine. That's fine. You should give one of his. Uh, I'll, I'll make you listen to one of his. Uh, one I want to talk to him when he's depressed. I have Star Wars because it came out free on digital. Star Wars is one. good. I like Star yeah, Wars. I like that one good. And I like Wilco Schmilko too, the one that follows that one. Um, let's just talk a little bit about when this album came out. So the the Wilco timeline at the time was that uh, Jeff Tweedy was in a band uh, called Uncle Tupelo with Jay Farrar. They were the two kind of main guys. It was mostly Jay Farrar who went on to uh, who went on to form Sunvolt, and so they broke up acrimoniously. They had started this kind of no depression alt country genre. They basically invented a genre of music, um, with instead of unwittingly, they weren't trying to. They were just playing music that they liked to play, but it happened to be like old timey music. And even though their later albums sounded like rock albums, they still kind of got saddled with this alt country bag. And so they split up acrimoniously. Jay Farrar goes off and he, he does Sunvolt. And they're an immediate hit. They have a top ten hit with a song I think that was called Drown or something. And they were on the, you know, they were on Top 40 Radio at the time because it was the big alternative boom. And Jeff Tweedy went and formed Wilco. And they released an album called AM in 1994, <clears throat> I want to say. And, and, nobody ca- and nobody cared. And it was <laughs> it's not very good. It's, it's probably good. good. It's it's kind of a weak, watered-down effort. It sounds a lot like Paul Westerberg, um, like a full-band version of Paul Westerberg. It was, it was like a more cute songwriting. You know, they were trying to craft a hit. They were trying to beat Sunvolt. They were trying to beat up on Jay Farrar, or at least Jeff Tweedy was, and it just didn't work. So, I got that one somewhere, so I bought it. I mean, found it for like $8 or something somewhere, so AM. I bought it. And I, I think I sold it later on because I just did not like it's, it at all. It's fine. 
it's completely it's completely okay but there's almost nothing to be said for it in terms of creative you know potential or mm-hmm. or anything like that it's just a it's a fun rock album to have you know you got to have it um, and so they went in I got rid of it they went into and I'll talk about this later but they went into uh, uh, they went into their second album you know with less worries and less cares about crafting a hit and uh, and and that's how being there was born. It was it was more of a, it, you know, it was more of a, it was more of a presence on on radio. You know, they had their first sort of quasi hit. I think it was out of sight, out of mind, or out of mind, out of sight. Mm. One of those was was a bit of a hit. Um, but uh, he uh, he traded his old rivalry with Jay Farrar for a brand new one with another man named Jay, and that's Jay Bennett, who was the multi instrumentalist. <laughs> You can just watch uh, the Wilco documentary uh, "I Am Trying to Break Your Heart," which is about the making of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Yeah, I love that movie. Interesting. Uh, yeah, and Jay Bennett tragically um, overdosed and and uh, passed away in like I think two thousand three, two thousand four, something like. Yeah, that. Yeah, it wasn't long after Yankee yeah. Hotel Foxtrot. But they were all good right now. Like all the all the pieces were in place. Jeff Tweedy's clearly the leader of the band. Jay Bennett is clearly just one of the members of the band. He's not trying to write songs or horn in or take over tracks or, or do any of that stuff yet. So they came that out. Summer, that was Summer Teeth, wasn't it? When he tried to do that? He got a yes. couple, he did, he sang in a couple tracks on Summer Teeth, right? Yeah, he actually has one of his songs on Summer Teeth. Uh, I can't remember what that's called. But then the trouble really started with Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Uh, even though that's a brilliant album and it's brilliant partly because he's on it, for sure. Um, so... Uh, I'm going to ask you, Chaz, to talk about Wilco's being there. Um, yeah. It's funny because you introduced this to me way back in the day. This was like 20 plus years ago. We're talking yeah. We're talking a while ago. And I know that you have loved Wilco and uh, you fell out irrevocably with them. And you're kind of more of a Yankee Hotel Foxtrot or Ghost is Born man yourself. Um, not that there's any shame in that. So... <laughs> I guess during I guess during my white hot passion for being there, I lost the plot on what you actually thought of it then and what you think of it now. We haven't talked about this album together for a while. Um, I imagine you gravitate more towards the atonal bangers and less toward the sad bastard songs. And there's probably just a few more of the sad ones on here than the bangers. Although I don't think that's true actually. Uh, now that I think about it, but I think on a scale of negative five to plus five. I think you give this a respectable plus 1.5. Right. So, I mean, I gave you some of my impressions at first. I did not like this album at first. I wanted to. I liked the first song, uh, Misunderstood, and then got just lost the plot with Far, Far Away because it was too country for me, especially hurt, at the time. That hurts my feelings. Well, <laughs> hey, Jake, truth hurts, okay? Oh, man. Um, so listening to it again, I did a fresh, like... I did a long, sad walk and listened to the entire thing in one listen. On wow, double. Both discs. I was only intended to do one, and then I just came out to keep walking, so I kept going and listened to the other one, too. You ended up in Wisconsin, on accident. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, and so when I listen to this again, like, with fresh ears, I, I, I listen to this, I pull it every once in a while, but it's not a regular listen. Um, I felt like there were three main styles of music going on. Okay. I heard country. Cool. Which, there's the show, no, I'm not wild about that. Yeah. I heard kind of 70s-ish classic rock. Yes. Which I'm kind of in the middle of. 
And I heard more of this unique experimental. You described it as atonal bangers, mm-hmm. which just, is good. <laughs> yeah. And so I feel like each song is, you know, some just some like combination of the three. Some of them are like pretty much just country. Some of them are pretty much just classic rock. Some of them are a combination of those two. Some of them have experiment like, but each track follows you. I feel like follows somewhere in those three. Yep. Um, and so the unique experimental I thought was more interesting because it really, to me, pointed the way like past Summer Teeth to Yankee Hotel Fox Rock and a Ghost Is Born. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I was thinking of, I was thinking of that, that documentary, uh, I'm Trying to Break Your Heart. There's one point where someone asked Jeff Tweedy to describe the sound of the album he's making. And he says something like, uh, and it has a lot of holes in it, which somebody makes some terrible joke about Courtney Love afterwards. That's awful. And you just watch it as like, his, he just crushes under this awful joke. I know. But like when he said that, I went, oh, knowing and loving this album, that I completely know what he's talking about. There's a yeah. lot of holes in it. And so I feel like some of these more experimental songs, these more atonal stuff, like I, I feel those holes in there. Um, I was kind of struck by how these songs actually remind me of some of Sonic Youth, which mm. I never thought Sonic Youth would be in there with Wilco. But no. the heavy guitar, the feedback, the dissonance, these kind of weird song structures that that lean into the dissonance, that just like pick times to just go, and just get that dissonance all all out of there. Like that's that's a kind of a Sonic Youth move in there, even if most of what they're doing is not the same. Um, and the album starts with the album starts with a wall of feedback, which totally. is an interesting choice for this you know it's just this big blown out boom which is a great way to start an album but doesn't always uh represent the album as a whole like those moments are more are, are not super common well i think I it's think. interesting they they lead off both discs with both discs exactly with, with yep. a kind of an atonal i mean not yep. not right away for sunken treasure but later on it goes it goes oh, yeah, it gets it goes there. wild mm-hmm so probably inevitable for my taste. My favorite tracks are the ones that are, like you mentioned, it, but my favorite ones are the more atonal bangers. So Misunderstood, the opening track. Um, that was a great song. I love that. Uh, Red-Eyed and Blue, mm-hmm. which I feel like is the preliminary of the song Ashes of American Flags. Um, Ooh, interesting. Fox, so I feel like there were a lot of some strong parallels there. Okay. Hotel Arizona, and then Sunken Treasure, the opening track of this too. Um, so those are the four that really like stuck in my brain. Yeah. The first three are all on disc one. The only Sunken Treasure is the only one on disc two. Mm. So that's probably inevitable listening to this. That I was way more familiar with disc one than I was with disc two. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. there were more that I like that grabbed me, that kept me listening, kept me going with it than on disc, disc two, probably. Um, so for me, the album as a whole, because of the, these three kind of disparate sounds, that they, they do a really good job of combining them. But because we have country that I really don't care for, 70s style classic rock which i'm like yeah i could take or leave most of the time and then this more experimental stuff which i loved um it ends up feeling uneven to me not in necessarily the quality of the album but in my personal preference and interest in listening to it so there's stuff i love on there and there's stuff i really don't care to listen to and there's yeah. stuff that's in the middle um but overall like i said i never i never got rid of this album i, I did own television and i sold it at one point in one of my lean periods in college Jake's aware of my, my periods where I was poor in college <laughs> yeah. and ended up selling CDs, which occasionally I, I, I regretted. But this, like tele TV, I, I never I don't. I don't you mean care. you mean AM? You mean the first AM? Yeah. It's got a television AM. on the cover, so There's te- there you go. Thanks. <laughs> yes. Or it's a radio AM, or something. Like, I it's don't a radio. Getting rid of that one at all? I've never like bothered to listen to it again. I, I don't care. No, I, you don't I, need I never to. got rid of being there, and that that's notable in itself. Yeah, don't get rid um, of it. So I do over enjoy it. I guess I pick it out every once in a while. Um, I gave it a one. Okay, you so, gave it a one. All right. You were close. You're close. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. That actually makes sense. Um, so 
Um, I'll just, you know, start off with my portion here by saying that, like, this is one of those cool rock records, you know, by a band that was at the time completely, you know, basically completely unknown, um, except for <laughs> this weird, you know, subset of alt country fans that loved loved him from Uncle Tupelo and were kind of rooting for him. Um, but it's also like a chance for a band to make a cool record with like a cool history with lots of little nuggets in it, you know, like <laughs> nuggets about the recording process and stuff. So to wit. Um, each song on this record was practiced, recorded, and mixed in only one day. So they would attack one song per day. Okay. Tweety would come into the studio, and they'd all be there, and he'd say, this is the song of the day. And then they would learn it, practice it, record it, and mix it all in one day. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, it originally had 30 songs, um, which would have been made it an actual whopper of a double album. Like, that probably... Yeah. I probably would have put Hopefully, it in the... Was it 19 tracks, I think? It's 19, yeah. And it's not that long. Like, these are... No. You know, there's a couple songs that, that stretch out a little bit, but... Uh, but, but you said it would fit in one CD. It's got to be close. I think it does fit, but I, I might be it wrong. It might, but if, if it's got to be like a 75 or, you know, 78 minute long one or something. Yeah, it's something like that. It's something like that. It's, it's close. A, it's a decent double album. You know, it's a, it's a true double album, I think. Um, they didn't care, or at least they purported not to care, if they were re- recording hits or singles or anything at all. They would just do the songs that he brought in. They weren't like, wow, mm-hmm. this is this is the jam, you know, this is the lead single or whatever. Um, so the aforementioned uh, double album preference, which I think is just is a pretty interesting and cool story, and it's really interesting that you, when you went to buy it, you noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, that was a huge difference. You know, they were trying to sell single CDs at Virgin Records or whatever for eighteen dollars, which is just preposterous. Which is, is twenty seven dollars at Sam Goody. Yeah, twenty seven bucks. I don't know how Sam Goody ever stayed in business ever. I mean, it was just. <laughs> we have five different albums. All of them are twenty seven dollars each. People were stupid. And you don't like any of them. People were stupid right for CDs back then. It was. <laughs> that's a whole thing. That's a whole thing. <laughs> Um, so many of the songs on being there concern the, quote, tortured artist or about being in an unsuccessful band or about life on the road. Um, and even more than that, there's a few more than a few first person narratives of being a fan of tortured artists and treasured bands. So he kind of did this thing where some of it sounds like a love song, you know, like the uh, I guess the original version of this would be Bob Dylan's uh, Positively Fourth Street. Where he's, you know, you got a lot of nerve to say you are my friend and all this stuff. And you think like, well, this is about a girl. This is about somebody um, that he broke up with and he's being a snot to her. But it ends up that it's about all these people that for Dylan at the time were on his side because he was this folk hero. But as soon as he dared stray from that, that model, they all turned against him. And so the song is not about a a broken love relationship. It's about a broken, Mm. it's like about a broken friendship. It's about about Dylan's broken ego. No, his ego was very much intact. (laughs) It was about, uh, because otherwise you wouldn't write a song attacking all the people. Yeah, okay, right now. Okay. Um, Anyway, so, you know, there's kind of, there's, and I think this is an interesting part about this, uh, about being there, because sometimes you don't know whether he's talking about a fan's relationship to a musician or if it's just a straight up love song or what. Mm-hmm. And it starts to color your, it starts to color your listening experience and your understanding of some of the songs that you just thought were like, yeah, this is about, this is about him and his, and he had just gotten married. Um, and he wasn't shy about writing songs about, uh, you know, how challenging marriage can be. And he had just had his first kid and all that stuff. Um, 
and I think I've said on this podcast before that I'm not exactly, you know, I don't, I don't love records like when the kinks do it about, about your record label or whatever. And <clears throat> some of this stuff wears on me. Like some of the songs wear on me a little bit. I, I'll get to that when I talk about my least favorite tracks on it. Um, another cool nugget is that on a couple of the songs, including Misunderstood, which sounds like that might be your favorite one. Um, it's the, right up there. The band practiced the song in kind of a circle, and then they would pass their instrument to the left, whatever that instrument was, and they would switch it up. So on the version on the album of Misunderstood, uh, Ken Coomer, who is normally the drummer, he's the one playing the acoustic guitar. So that just happened to be, that that was the best version they thought of the song, was whatever configuration that was of them playing Interesting. playing their instruments that weren't um, their normal instruments. Kind of like an experimental, like a uh, Brian Eno style move. He did stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, kind of like that. They were really trying to shake it up. They were trying to not be like a normal band. They were trying to, they were trying to create something that was um, that was different. Um, and you know, along those lines, um, the idea. This is almost like a little bit, a little less weird, certainly, but like a little bit kind of like a Beatles White Album experience. Because some of some of the songs are what you would expect from Wilco at the time, kind of alt country, you know, that pedal steel guitar and stuff like that. Yep. And others that just display a range of influences that no way would you have guessed from their first record or, uh, you know, what what they would kind of come up with. Um, some of that '70s stuff you're talking about uh, sounds a lot like the Rolling Stones, you know, um, from the from the early '70s. So I think you I think you got that right. Uh, but the truth is that Jeff Tweedy was in punk bands when he was a teenager. Okay. He, he loved like a bunch of different kind of music. It just it just happened that it just happened that he got semi-famous um, or or got kind of associated with this alt country thing, um, which for sure is still in there. So for me, this album's got rockers. It's got weepers. Um, but looking back on the track list, I think they're mostly rockers. It's just that I gravitate, yeah. <laughs> I gravitate so much to the Weepers on this album that it, I think it, it tips the scales for me a little bit. Um, this is one of the few albums that I don't ever need to hear again to remember every single track. I listened to this album, I must have listened to it a hundred times or more. I just was so into it. Um, that having been said, the ones that I used to love, which are generally the Weepers, are also the ones that I still love the most. So I'd say my very favorite songs are Misunderstood for sure, Far, Far Away, which it offends me that you don't like that song. Because <laughs> that's the song I used to sing for, I was trying to woo my now wife, Brooke. Uh, I used well, to woo her with that song. Apparently. Yeah, it was successful. Uh, Forget the Flowers is one of my... Like, yeah, I guess it was successful. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess I mean, it worked out. three kids later, <laughs> you know. You've been married for 17 years. Yeah, almost 17. Almost married. 17. Yeah, Long we're doing good. No, plan, no plans to yeah. no plans to yeah, end this, this little okay. experiment. <laughs> Love that song. Uh, Red-Eyed and Blue. Uh, and then Sunken Treasure is like one of my favorite songs ever. Someday Soon I love. Both the Out of Mind, Out of Sights are good. Someone else's songs, Kingpins, like this has got a really, and then Why Would You Want to Live is, is my other kind of favorite song. It has this really cool, um, it changes uh, time signature in the middle of it. Uh, no, I missed that. Okay. Lot, lots, of, lots of neat stuff in there. So that's kind of, a, that's kind of an earworm, uh, kind of a headphone listen. Um, and then the ones that I don't like are, are now definitely the ones that identify as being sort of embarrassingly about being in a band. 
Okay. Like Hotel Arizona, you said that you like like that song. That's yeah. I don't like that song very much anymore. And then the one that I really like when I was re-listening to it um, recently, the Lonely One, which is the the penultimate track on disc two. That's mm-hmm. just that's just kind of like ugh. that one's kind of embarrassing to me. I don't like that one. Okay. He's talking about loving this, um, you know, this kind of tortured artist who is the the head of a band. And it's pretty unabashed, and it's a little—it's a little uncomfortable. I'm not gonna lie. Uh-huh. Um, and because I love this one so much, it hurts my feelings a little to see that this album isn't really a cultural touchstone. And I don't—I don't know that it ever really was. Um, I think that that probably for Wilco that that honor belongs to Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, don't you? Think? Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I don't know. This is just this is just the one that like completely got me into them. Um, the batting average is still pretty high. Um, but there's definitely some ones that I that I skip. I still look forward to the Weepers, and I don't think this is a perfect album um, as much as I have loved it in the past. I've just listened to it so, so, so many times, um, and I still like putting it on, don't get me wrong, um, but it almost it's almost been too much. It's, like, really nostalgic at this point, um, you know, back to that, that time of my life, which, you know, stretched for a few years there where I was listening to it a lot. Um, but I would, st- I still give it like a plus, I don't know, a plus three, a plus 3.5. Let's go with plus. Okay. Let's go with plus 3.5. I would I would have guessed higher for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think back in the day I would have been like five, mark it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't even tell me anything about it. I loved it so, so much. So there you go. That's my thoughts about Wilco's being there and yours. And mine as well, for good measure. <laughs> well, hey, we're going to continue this uh, late bloomers theme with our next episode where I'm going to spin you a tale of a late bloomer of my own. And that late bloomer in this case is Yola Tango's 1993 album, Painful. Ouch. There's going to be oh. a lot of uh, parallels, actually, between the stories. So it'll be interesting. Oh, pain- so, painful. join us next time for Jake's terrible jokes on Letter Than Sound. <laughs>